welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction Today's podcast concerns the module called TALC, Skills for Effective Information Gathering, and it focuses on the specific chapter, which is called, What Difference Do Patients' Thoughts, Concerns and Hopes Really Make? The skills needed to elicit patients' ideas, concerns and expectations have been widely recognised as necessary for examinations, and sometimes are seen as something for consultations in primary care rather than in hospitals, although I don't think that's true. The whole concept of ideas, concerns and expectations has also become something of a cliched expression of something that seems to be done to the patient. Sometimes in problem case discussions, clinicians even say things like, well, I iced the patient, but I didn't get anywhere. But patients are not like cakes and they can't be iced. The process of appreciating the patient's own perspective isn't something that you do to a passive patient, but rather a very active process of dialogue between a patient and a clinician who is genuinely curious and interested in how the patient sees things from their own point of view. It is a way for the clinician to get a fresh perspective and to understand how a situation is affecting the specific individual they're working with. I hope in this podcast that you'll see that it's so much more than this. Sometimes in recorded consultations, the conversation with the patient goes a bit like this. Patient, what's next? Doctor, have you got any ideas about what's causing the problem? No, says the patient. You're the doctor or the nurse or the other clinician. Have you got any worries about this? Patient says, no. Clinician says, what do you think we ought to be doing about this? Or even worse, what do you expect me to do about this? And the patient says, don't know, that's why I'm asking you. As a result, an experienced clinician sometimes think that discovering the thoughts and concerns of their patient is done for purely theoretical reasons, that it won't help their clinical assessment and is generally a waste of time. Such clinicians will only concern themselves with the patient's perspective when they're being observed or during an examination. However, experienced clinicians take a very different approach when they think about the issue of the patient's own thoughts. Firstly, in almost all situations, understanding where the patient is coming from is useful in the clinical assessment, and it's pretty much vital for successful explanations and for effective care planning with the patient. Experienced clinicians understand that the skills of eliciting a patient's thoughts, beliefs, concerns, and their hopes for the consultation are not about asking closed questions. Instead of using a closed question such as, are you worried about this, which could be answered with one word, Experienced clinicians use open directed questions to explore the patient's point of view. They follow this up by picking up clues and cues in what is communicated. And you can read more about this in the chapter called Can Reading Between the Lines Make for More Accurate Diagnosis? This approach need not be time consuming and in fact often saves time in the end because it helps the clinician to focus on the key issues. What is meant by the term an open directed question? Clinicians will be familiar with closed questions that can only be answered with one word. An example might be, have you ever seen blood in your urine? The answer is usually yes or no. Asking a patient, do you have any ideas about what is causing this? Can be answered again with a single word like no or don't know. An open direct question 
leaves the type of response open. That means it can't be answered with one word, like a closed question. But it also directs the patient's attention to a particular aspect of the issue at hand. So asking a question like, what aspect of all this has concerned or worried you the most, cannot be answered in one word and will enable the clinician to start to explore what really matters to the patient about their current situation. Similarly, an open directed question such as, well, what thoughts have you been having about all this? Invites a detailed comment and is likely to enable a conversation about the patient's ideas. Sometimes statements rather than questions yield more information. For example, I have a few thoughts about how we might proceed here. I'm also very interested to know what thoughts you've been having about this. Eliciting a patient's initial thoughts is not the end of the matter. The clinician must pick up and respond to the patient's answer. How does this help? Here are some examples to consider. If the patient says, well, I thought this might be a cancer, that is useful information and it may illuminate the symptoms in a different light. In an older person who's a heavy smoker with a cough, the clinician might respond with, well, a cancer is a realistic possibility, followed by an exploration of what such a diagnosis might mean to the patient or what they might want to do next about it. But if the person concerned about lung cancer is a 25-year-old non-smoking female athlete, the clinician might respond differently and explore further, asking, how did you come to be concerned about cancer just now? because on the face of it, it's not a very realistic concern for that person. This how question is less threatening than why do you think you have cancer? It may reveal the results of a Google search or the fact that a neighbour or relative has similar symptoms and has been diagnosed with cancer recently. This is important information. The same kind of principles apply when considering worries and hopes. Asking, do you have any worries about this, is a closed question. Some patients will automatically answer no to this question because they do not see themselves as worriers. After all, they may see worriers as not rational, wasting clinicians' time on trivialities or as people who are not able to cope with their situation, unlike themselves. So no wonder asking about worries sometimes leads to denial. Far better to use another open-directed question such as, What concerns do you have about this? Which cannot be answered in a single word. The use of the term concern is powerful and has been shown to be seen as more natural, raising rational matters that most sensible adults would address. For other patients, asking what has been worrying you the most about this may be a productive open-directed question too. Asking a patient to rank their worries or concerns quietly implies that it's normal and inevitable that they will have worries or concerns. And that is true when most people are ill or trying to manage worrying symptoms. This normalises the clinician's interest in the patient's perspective, how they see things from their own point of view. Clinicians often get stuck when they ask about hopes or expectations. If you ask the question, what were you expecting me to do about it? I think it's really hard to make that sound anything less than dismissive or uncaring, at least in English. It's more effective to make inquiries along the lines of, what were you thinking about how we might deal with this? Or what were you hoping for from this consultation today? Again, the patient's response needs to be attended to carefully. The skill is not in asking the question, but in understanding and exploring the answers. If a patient's answer is, well, you know, that is not a successful exploration of their thoughts, although there is a hint of something there. 
Finding out what that actually is needs further exploration. Use facilitating phrases such as go on or pick up clues and cues from the patient to develop a fuller understanding. See also talc skills for effective information gathering. How can avoiding questions yield more information? Finally, clinicians should remember that sometimes no means yes. If asked about concerns, the patient may reply they are not particularly concerned. This means they have a concern that has not been voiced. Try an encouraging go on or echo back by saying something like not particularly, as this is likely to reveal significant information. Similarly, if a patient says, are you okay with the idea of taking tablets permanently? And the patient answers, well, yes, in a hesitant way, that's not really a yes, it's really a no. And until the patient says yes wholeheartedly, you've still got a no. There's a strong clue there that more exploration is needed. Understanding thoughts, hopes and concerns and even expectations is often seen as something to get done in the information gathering part of the consultation. Remember, though, that the same skills are necessary throughout the consultation. During and after explanations, the same principles apply. If you've explained a diagnosis to a patient, pause. Ask them, what thoughts do you have now? Or what concerns does that explanation leave you with? Or thinking about their expectations. I know you were hoping we might do one particular thing. Now that I've explained my reasoning and what I think's going on, what are your thoughts about doing something different instead? Roger Neighbour in his book, The Inner Consultation, describes the concept of patient frameworks, which can really further help in understanding the patient's point of view, especially when you want to work with the patient's perspective in explanations and planning care. Apart from very specific issues such as, I hate taking tablets, Maber identifies some general attitudes which can inform patients' perspectives, and these are well worth exploring to inform management plans later on. These approaches could mean that some people prefer an active role in treatment or other people prefer a more passive role. Some people might prefer cautious approaches compared to being willing to experiment or have more interventionist types of treatment. Some people want to avoid surgery, whereas other people might want to get it over with. Eliciting the patient's perspective will give many clues about these kinds of orientations and then they can be used to inform management plans and these are much more likely to be acceptable to patients and therefore much more likely to be carried out. A good motivation to explore thoughts, ideas and hopes is that it can lead to a really nuanced understanding of each patient as an individual. When patients share their own responses and thoughts, it's sometimes illuminating. It's always interesting and occasionally can result in jaw-dropping revelations. This makes each patient's story individual and therefore interesting, rather than an example of a type. A man who comes with a sore throat might not seem that fascinating, but a man with a sore throat who's worried he got AIDS by sharing an ice cream with a stranger in a nightclub is an interesting problem and actually raises some clinically important questions as well. Learning about the patient's story and their perspective can benefit clinicians as well as patients. When each patient is seen to be unique and interesting, clinicians can respond in more human and creative ways. Interesting work is more fun, isn't it? It's less stressful and less tiring. If we get alongside patients and their concerns, collaborative working becomes easier and we have fewer stressful conflicts with patients.
There's a useful summary of the evidence and skills about this in Skills for Communicating with Patients, and I think it's well worth reading the chapter in Roger Neighbour as well. How do we come to practice this, though? And where do our initial attitudes come from? To be honest, a lot of secondary care practice must come in for some criticism here. It inclines to medical models and protocol-driven approaches that come in the lively variation of individual patients tends to get leached out a bit. In secondary care, patients can feel like bags on a conveyor belt rather than human beings. So explore what the patient's perspective means to you as an individual or to the clinicians you'll work with. Think about the difference between a disease state, such as the signs and symptoms associated with the disease, for example, the clinical features of COPD, and what we call the illness state, which is what that disease is experienced like for the patient. Different patients will have different experiences and different concerns and expectations about the same disease. For example, think about something straightforward like a fractured collarbone. For a circus performer, this might presage a disastrous period of complete unemployment and lack of income. But for a shy teenager, it might mean a welcome respite for team sports. For a healthy man who retired weekly, it might just be a brief inconvenience. Try and think what experiences you've already had in trying to understand where patients have come from before and try and avoid closed questions. A specific skills rehearsal can help to reinforce new skills. Either choose a case that you've been looking at on a recorded consultation or use one of the resources in the written materials where there are scenarios that can be used to practice this. Using an effective skills rehearsal is a good way forwards. Firstly, consider how to make the skills rehearsal effective by having a scenario well prepared. The clinician can start the conversation using a summary of information, going on to elicit more detail about the patient's own perspective. The person playing the patient can act using the information in the scenario and the observer can use a checklist to look at the skills in question. It's worthwhile changing roles so that everybody gets to try being a patient, a clinician and an observer. Then reflect on how the patient's perspective helps the clinician. It might improve diagnostic accuracy, assist in choosing a management plan or in narrowing down the realistic options for treatment. What would happen if the patient's perspective is not taken into account? See more about this idea of using ideas, concerns and expectation in the module TALC, Skills for Effective Explanations and Planning Care. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.